Hi, everyone. My name is Jennifer Zock, and this is a special edition podcast about mental health in the workplace. Today, I'm in conversation with Jess Pladson and Dr. Heather Morgan Sawada. Jess is a licensed marriage and family therapist and has been practicing in the Cedar Rapids area since 2013. Along with her therapy and supervision endeavors, Jess has also held several leadership and administrative roles throughout her career. Jess, her husband, and three children make their home in Vinton, Iowa. Heather is also a licensed marriage and family therapist in the state of Iowa. Besides owning her own private practice called Resolute Therapy, Heather is an assistant professor of marriage and family therapy at Mount Mercy University. Heather is an active researcher, and she and her colleagues were recently published in the Journal of Marriage and Family Therapy for their study exploring the experiences of relational telehealth in the era of COVID-19. In 2017, Heather was honored to receive the Iowa Mental Health Counselor Association Mental Health Champion Award. This podcast represents the opinions of Jennifer Zock and her guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content is for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. With that, let's jump into the conversation. My first question is when your mental health is suffering, how do you or should you tell your coworkers? For me, what comes up for that is, you know, Jess and I, we, we got together a little bit to talk about this beforehand. And we both were like kind of getting excited as we talked about it because these just that like, yeah, that is what it's like. Yeah, that is how it feels. And, and to me, the bigger question is, is my workplace a safe environment for me to feel comfortable with being vulnerable? Mm-hmm. Because if you're going to ask someone to be courageous in their vulnerability, to step into their vulnerability in a place in which they would be then shamed for feeling the way that they're feeling, they aren't safe right? They, they, they aren't safe. And, and why would they want to talk about their mental health? And then what might happen as a result of that workplace, depending, it could be any type of work, right? Like every, every workplace environment, the leaders within it want to have good productivity, right? They, I would hope they'd want to have strong camaraderie. They'd want to have a system in which they are meeting the same end goal, But if we have mental illness that's not being talked about and it's not okay to talk about it, what's the fallout going to be? And so for me, it's that step of, I don't want to put it so much on the employees, the people working in that environment. I want to put that on that question on the leaders of what are we doing in order to make this a safe environment to talk about mental health? Yeah, I think, you know, we talk a lot about the the system and um, which we're in. And I think for Heather and I, both of us, you know, being trained in systemic thinking, we do tend to think both of that, you know, individual, but also 
the system in which they're in. And that's all of the relationships with coworkers, with managers, with higher ups, with the leaders, with all of the different ends of that. Um, and safety is a really big part of that. Um, in order to be able to talk about mental health, we have to feel a certain sense of connection and safety and security. Um, and if we aren't feeling that, or if in some contexts we do have that, um, again, if it's not across the board, right? That that's okay. And sometimes it's okay to talk about, and sometimes it isn't. Again, there's a lot of the communication pieces that have a lot to do with that. Um, and we say that there, there's a lot of times those mixed messages of, of course you can come and see me, but not really. Um, <laughs> so, so people get that, they get that, that feeling, and that's going to have a big impact on whether or not they can have those kinds of discussions and to the level, right? Um, and I think that a lot of times people are worried about how they're going to be judged um, and how it could come back to them. So maybe in the moment was okay, but is that going to impact their ability to then be promoted or, um, will everybody be sort of tiptoeing around them? Or, you know, are you going to be, is that conversation going to stay with the person you talked about it with, or is it going to make its way all around all these different things? Right. So there's, this is a really big question. <laughs> What are some first steps that leaders can take to begin to build that environment of psychological safety? They have to take, they have to be courageous enough to step into their own vulnerability and set the tone that this, this is a safe environment to do that. And I think that's their modeling. And again, I think in an even bigger systems level, leaders often think, well, if we talk about emotions or if we talk about vulnerability, what does that look like? What is, how does that make us look? That might make us look weak, right? Like vulnerability or talking about emotions is like a soft thing to do. But, or getting too personal, right? There's a difference between right. work and personal. And so that distinction too. Heather. Which is a bunch of baloney that, they, <laughs> like, that we can keep like who we are and what we're struggling with that we can compartmentalize. Like humans aren't robots, right? Like they can't just, you know, I had a miscarriage yesterday, but I can show up to work on Monday and just be totally fine and chipper and be able to work with that next customer. And, and then there's again, that message of, is this, well, the, the worry, is this a safe place to be able to share that? What will people think of me? Right. What's that judgment? And, you know, I, I named an issue, but, I think no matter what you plug that in with any other issue, there's that fear. And so I think for me, it's, it's that it starts with the leadership of modeling. It is safe to talk about those things. It is okay. Like we have to destigmatize mental illness. And if we, if we want our employees or people that are working for us in whatever capacity to feel mentally healthy, well, we have to then make mental health a priority and how do systems do that? What are some signs that employees can look for to tell whether the environment is safe or not to talk about mental health? That's a really good question. <laughs> um, and again, I think it's about connection and probably a values 
piece. Um, again, I think within business, we let productivity time kind of run the show. And this is sort of revamping that value to put the priority on the employee and trusting that if we do that, that's actually going to help our bottom line, right? But the most common sense kind of thinking. But again, as a leader, if you are investing in the assets of your employees and helping them to be in a good, healthy space, we know research-wise, those people are going to stay with you longer. They're going to be much happier and they are going to be much more productive, right? But we tend to go the opposite way. Do more, whatever's going on for you, that that's your personal life, right? That doesn't come into play here. And like Heather said, we're, we're not robots. All of those things impact us. Um, and once you have a certain feeling or culture within an environment, it's, it's almost like a, like a parasitic thing, right? It's really hard to exterminate that. Um, and so we do have to really go to those foundational spaces of like, okay, let's really talk about this. How can we be changing this? And again, I think leaders and, and businesses in general, they're worn out too, right? Because they're part of that system as well. So it's reevaluating that. So like what Heather said, um, reevaluating that and modeling that, right? I'm taking mental health days. I'm making sure that I have uh, a vacation piece. I'm making sure that this is a priority. Or again, I'm not taking my work home. I won't be answering my email because I'm home, right? Setting those pieces. But I think oftentimes we see those leaders that are showing like, oh, I work around the clock and I'm always available and all these things. And that shows me that I care about you, but it's also at your own personal expense. So it's finding that balance. Right. Um, and I think that that makes a big difference. Yeah. It's like, that reminds me of like how you know, often in workplaces, it's rewarding burning that midnight oil. Right. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, that reward for you came in over, you know, on the afternoon on Saturday, or you stayed till 9pm and wow, you're a team player. And what, what might happen if a leader in an organization came to someone who was like, you know, Hey, last night you sent me an email at 1030 at night. And while I really appreciate that, you know, I see how hard you're working for the company. I'm a little worried about you burning yourself out, right? I'm a little worried about what's going on that we're you know, sending an email at 1030 at night rather than finding some time for, for you, right? For your mental health. Mm -hmm. And I think that people are so afraid to have those types of conversations because they might be like, I think there's such a discomfort with talking about emotions and being physically and mentally healthy. But anyone who feels, again, like it's a weak thing to do, have a conversation like that and then come back and tell me how much strength it took, right? Like it wasn't an easy conversation to have, you know, but I, I agree with Jess there. That's like, there's this, I, you know, do more, do more, do more. And if you're not, you're not rewarded. And what if we redefine how we're rewarding our employees? Yeah. And I, and I think a lot of times those ideas are like, we, we notice that maybe in the culture and the idea is like, 
well, we really, you know, stress is really high around here. Like we really push these deadlines and we should do this for it. And it's something that's always like, it, it doesn't fit to the level of like the investment that people have given. It's like, we're going to have a pizza party. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I just sacrificed like all of this, this free time and energy and you're going to give me some pizza. Great. <laughs> like, Well-intentioned, but again, it's, it's a band-aid for a system that is needing maybe an overhaul, right? We tend to just kind of band-aid our way across these kinds of things and also avoid these harder conversations because we do feel uncomfortable or um, we're afraid of like, well, what if that opens up this bigger can of worms or, you know, what is that going to mean um, across the board? Yeah, Jessica, I really uh, I like what you, you said there about it being a Band-Aid because it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, Heather, I really liked the example of the conversation that a leader could have with an, an employee that you're right, that does take a lot of courage and energy to have that conversation. But what a wonderful way to open up to more effective and healthier conversations. I can't help but to think too that shared language is a place where leaders can begin to make progress within their their culture the example of you know just using the words mental health i'm taking a mental health day i think jessica you use that as an example and for it seems to me that could go a long way in people just getting used to hearing that language or even having a therapist right like how amazing might that be for, you know, I think one of the questions kind of um, was actually from a first responder that you received. And there's a huge issue with mental illness within the realm for first responders that we just, it's not talked about, right? I don't think it's talked about enough in our field. I don't think it's talked about enough within their field, because again, there's that fear of what if I talk about this, what, what does that mean? Or what if I'm then deemed unfit? Or am I really going to get that confidentiality piece? And what if it was the fire chief within the firehouse that said, yeah, I go see a therapist once a week. Totally normal, right? It's really good for me. And this is how it benefits me. And this is why I like it. What might that do to the people that this person is leading, right? What door might that open? And giving them permission to be able to seek the same services. Right, right. You know, I know myself, I have invested in having a therapist for for many years. And it's been one of the greatest investments in my self care, as well as just um, behavior learning. I um, oftentimes tell people when they're, you know, like, when we're doing sort of our, our little debriefing of like therapy, right? Um, I, I ask people, how often do you feel, right? Do you feel every day? Do you think every day? Are you in relationship every day? Okay. Well, it would make a lot of sense to be able to go to somebody who specializes in those areas and helping us to live 
the healthiest we can and to problem solve and troubleshoot and be a support because that's the primary focus of what we do, right? It's, it's about those relational pieces, those emotional pieces, those thinking pieces, those behavior pieces, and about having good, healthy connections and communication. Who is not doing those things every single day? Right. Right. And, and who is not maybe needing a little bit of support of, you know, if we're misstepping or we're not seeing a certain part of it, or if we're caught in a cycle that we just, we don't have any awareness of again, like we're an unbiased person who's not part of all those things. We have the confidentiality piece, you know, it's not leaving our door unless you give us permission. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very nice (laughs) piece. Um, And I kind of speak to, you know, like that first responding piece as well. Um, as another thought, like, I think sometimes we believe because we've had training to be able to be in really hard circumstances or to manage crises or trauma pieces that somehow we're like not vulnerable to those having an impact in some way. And again, we're human beings and there are going to be aspects of that in which we do need to process and have support around and and those kinds of things. Um, We're not, we're not robots, right? You know, even though we've learned some skills to be able to manage in those crises moments, there's still, there's still a, a a fallout um, or an impact, you know, um, and so again, to have those people saying, yeah, I do these pieces and for it to also be maybe in the, the room, right? Like where we're talking about, like we have a therapist um, that we utilize or we've contracted with rather than just a lot of people have those EAP pieces, right? So I feel like they sort of say like, yeah, we care. We have these things, right? But you have to know how to talk to HR and ask for those pieces and how to do the paperwork and all those pieces. And essentially you just get, well, yeah, we have that. You can use it if you want. And then there's no follow-up. There's, there's not really that supportive, like, are you doing that? Or again, are there things that we need to be doing um, to, to support you? It becomes a conversation that happens once, right? And let's be real, for most organizations, it's the day when we're going over benefits, right? And everyone has to come to the mandatory benefits meeting and HR goes over the whole spiel of benefits and whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And we talk about it once. Mm-hmm. And then, and you had, you had mentioned, Jennifer, like mental health as, as like seeing a therapist as that investment, right? And not only is it a time investment, but it's a financial investment for people too, which is a whole other level of the systems issue of do people have the access to the finances to be able to access those services? And if not, are we as an organization then also letting people know of if you don't have access to this because maybe our healthcare, let's, let's be, keep it real. Maybe our healthcare within our organization isn't that great, right? Maybe you have a $5,000 deductible. And so going and seeing a therapist and paying the full rate, maybe that's not possible. What are some other resources within our community? And having that conversation be something that's continuously happening. Because like, like you said, Jess, that, you know, I'm imagining the employee that's coming in and now wanting to seek out these answers to these questions, maybe about their EAP benefits, and maybe they're in a major depressive episode. Are they going to have the energy to be able to do that 
but maybe if it's been a conversation that's been reoccurring, right? It's, it's like, for me, it's a difference, like as, as an LGBTQ ally, it's like the difference between having like the one class or the one chapter in a book in one class where we talk about LGBTQ issues versus having it be something that we talk about in every class, yeah. right? Or issues of race, right? Are we going to have the one class or the one chapter in one book, right? What message does that give? Or are we going to have it be a conversation that's throughout the entire program, for example? Our organization's doing that one day, one chapter of the book in the one meeting, right? So Mm -hmm. yeah, that's just what comes to mind for me. That's a good point. It's so important to have those caring conversations on a consistent basis Mm -hmm. so that it does become a part of the culture Mm -hmm. and people can get the help that they need and feel comfortable getting it. I'd like to segue now a little bit to those organizations where there's a mix of comfort levels in discussing mental health. How do leaders handle that when they've got some employees that are okay having a conversation about mental health and they've got other employees that are really uncomfortable with it? I have some thoughts, but Jess, I'm wondering if you want (laughs) to. I was still thinking about the last thing. (laughs) These are all such rich. You know me, I can go on and on about it (laughs) forever once you get me on it. So yeah, if you want to start, I know I, I, that usually gets me going. Um, Well, I guess my question back to those leaders would be, see how I'm, I'm kind of, this is the therapist to me. I'm reflecting back and putting it back on a person to answer their own question, right? But like, I guess my question to that leader would be, why do you feel that that's happening within your organization? Mm. What's going on within the culture of the organization that, that it might be inadvertently, whether it's, whether it's intentional or unintentional, and usually it's unintentional, right? That we're fostering that these aren't safe conversations, or is it the type of organization where we have maybe certain types of personalities where it's, um, you know, maybe people that are coming into this type of work, let's say, I'm thinking like engineers, right? They might not be, you know, sorry, engineers out there who might be like super emotionally intelligent, I'm not talking about you, but <laughs> <laughs> we've met some, we know. <laughs> exactly they're out there and it's great, but like there might be engineers, for example, and this happens across all kinds of work environments where talking about emotions is really icky. And why are we talking about that? And I don't like that. Right. How, how might we, as the leaders then be fostering that attitude that it's okay not to talk about, like, what's the underlying fear of, if we talk about this, what will happen? And if we're uncomfortable, why is that bad? Like how much growth can come from the discomfort of having those tough conversations? Yeah. And I think, I think it goes into kind of the veins of like, we feel as though there's sort of those two pockets, right? So work is different than personal, Mm -hmm. but you can't separate personal from work. 
you know? Um, and, and so having that kind of understanding, and I also think coming to the, maybe the personality types and I, and I appreciate you talking about like the systems and asking that question of like, okay, why is this the perception, right? That's always a really great place to start. Um, but I also think with the personality pieces, um, we have people, and again, people do a lot of those strength finders and, um, characteristic pieces and all of those sort of things. And they find out a lot about themselves, right. Sometimes, or they're like, duh, I knew that forever. Right. And everybody around me knows that forever, but then we don't have those follow-up conversations about how to utilize those pieces. Like, oh, we now know that this is really great for you but continue in this environment in which maybe we're not um, supporting that, right? Or we're gonna put you in a work task that goes completely against how you would generally be productive, fulfilled, and you know, satisfied. Um, the other part is I think that you know, different personalities and different characteristics, I'm a feeler, right? I feel my way, that is, that is my way of being, right? Um, and that is not less beneficial than someone who is a thinker, right? Um, and, and when I say feeler, I mean, like, I, I feel like sensation, like in my body, like in the things, but I can also label my emotions. So emotions can be a little bit different than that feeling term that I'm meaning. So some people are really good about like labeling. Wow. That makes me really anxious when I have to make those phone calls. That's a really hard part of my day where somebody else may be like, that does, that's no problem for me. I have just make the phone call and I'm done. And then I move on. Right. So how are we also like lining up people's tasks and the things that they have to do with how they work and how are we using those circles of different personalities, characteristics, and strengths to our benefit? Um, and I think marketing that in a way of like, this is a chance to really learn about the different ways in which we all do things. And one is not bad and one is not good. It just is in creating an environment of acceptance. There's all kinds of smart, not just cognitive. And I think this is the leap we're making in business is understanding that the logical piece or the thinking thing, right. Isn't always like the number one way to get that bottom line or that deadline met. It takes all different types. And so celebrating those differences mm -hmm. right? um, and seeing the value in that. Yes. And moving on from people's personality, I have a few behavioral questions. What is appropriate behavior when you are, your mental health is suffering? How do you, how does a person manage that well in the workplace? When I first read this question, I was like, huh, okay. Like I'm, because again, it's a part of me, right? I'm like, it depends. We're all different. There's no like, appropriate what feels appropriate. <laughs> like, exactly. People feel uncomfortable. Like, exactly. Professional. <laughs> so are you asking professional or appropriate? <laughs> and even then, even then that word professional could mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people too. Mm -hmm. You know, like, 
again, would we expect that, you know, that woman that shows up on Monday after she's just went through a really hard miscarriage, would we deem it inappropriate for her to be tearful or to, for her to have moments where she needs to step away or maybe take half the day because she's feeling emotionally flooded at times and, and she's not, she's not able to, to be able to function at the way that she normally would at her job. Like, is that inappropriate? So I think that's what came up for me in reading that question. I was like, oh, I guess, I, I guess I'd want to, because it feels like there's pretty obvious, like appropriate in a, or more obvious inappropriate behaviors, right? Um, like behaviors that would be harming to other people like shaming, judgment, mean calling, harassing, right? Like the, the pretty obvious. I think compassion comes to mind for me of, again, how are we as maybe leaders and coworkers being compassionate to our fellow humans that we're working amongst every day? I don't know, what comes to mind for you, Jen? Yeah. Well, and I think, I think it's sort of like that idea of giving benefit of the doubt too. So yeah. again, um, like- if something feels off or different, regardless of how that is doing that sort of check-in, right? Like, are you okay? And again, like no pressure, we don't need to talk about it, but I'm, I'm here if, if you need to. Right. So again, I think sometimes we come at it and we're like, there's something wrong. You need to tell me like that. Like, again, we need to be, give people their, their own space and time. Cause we all process and go through those things differently. Again, somebody who's depressed, they may throw themselves into work. They may be an over-functioner, right? So they may be the person who is me emailing you at midnight because that's the way that they're working through their depression. Another person may be on the other end, right? Where they're more closed off and they're not communicating, right? Um, I know for me, like with my anxiety, I call it my meddling part. Like when my anxiety is high, I tend to go and like talk with all the people and I'm not doing my work. I'm like asking about what, what's going on with everybody else. And I'm distracting myself from the things. Um, so I might look more social during that time, mm -hmm. um, then like in a good place, but it's because I feel those, those things. Um, so again, what you're going to see is going to be very, very different across the board. Um, but as far as like approaching that again, I think one of the biggest things is, you know, kind of opening a door, checking in, but not giving pressure. And the other part is just being really validating of like, essentially, that doesn't mean I necessarily agree with you. Um, but I'm trying to understand maybe what's going on for you, right? Like, that's a, that's a very healing space for people is to be validated of like, wow, that would be really hard. Right? Um, yeah, and I had no idea you were going through so much. And then asking that question of like, is there anything that you need from me? And even if you don't have that answer now, think about it and let me know, right? And then doing that check-in a couple days later, because that's the other part is I don't think people follow up, right? We have that one conversation, that one chapter, right? Yeah. And, and saying like, hey, you know, you, you, you seem a little different. Are you doing, like, just wanted to check in with you. Again, you've been, you've been on my mind or I really thought about that conversation. Um, those, those kinds of things. I think that those are like maybe a, appropriate behaviors and supporting. Um, 
but the behaviors themselves can look very, very different across the board. And there's an education piece too. I think that that's probably a really important part because um, people will say like, oh, well, I have anxiety. So this is what my anxiety looks like. And this is how it must look for everybody else. Or this is what I read about depression or I saw a movie. Oh, goodness. <laughs> you saw a movie, you're an expert. Um, that, that's a generalization. But I, I want to highlight like just how you just modeled that compassion was just beautiful compassion yeah. that a coworker could give another coworker. And I feel like that's not necessarily a natural skill for some individuals, but that's a skill that can, we know from research that can be taught. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you think about all the mandatory trainings that, I don't know why I did this, they're, they're mandatory, right? <laughs> as I'm doing the finger quotations, but we, we have mandatory trainings when it comes to like sexual harassment in the workplace or different HR issues, right? But we don't have mandatory trainings at all when it comes to recognizing issues with mental health, right? We don't have mandatory trainings when it comes to like, how, what are some basic skills for being present for people? Because I, I think that that holding space, like Jess just did not only wonderful job showing compassion, but also holding space for someone's pain. Like just sitting with that pain and being like, yeah, God, that sucks. I am sorry you're going through this right now. Wow, that's gotta be hard, right? Because I think it makes people really uncomfortable to sit with that pain because then they're feeling it, right? And And I think that there's something really valuable in helping people to feel comfortable with the uncomfortable. But again, I think that has to be modeled from top down. And what happens when, in terms of being painful, uh, hurting people tend to hurt people. And if you have someone who doesn't have the the skill to help them self-regulate if their response is to work their stuff out on someone else. What is the best way to handle that within an organization? I often hear that um, hurt people hurt people. Yes. Like that that is a very kind of well-known thing. I think the part that needs to be also added to that is that it does not give them permission to hurt people, okay? And um, we can have a boundary around that. Like we don't, we don't get to utilize that as, that's to help with understanding and compassion. It's not to give an excuse or to become the target or a martyr or to suffer in some way at someone else's, you know, experience or for their, you know, need. Right. So it is okay to have a boundary and to kind of shut down like, Hey, this, this does not seem to be going so well. Um, I, you know, again, maybe we need to kind of take a break from these pieces or, you know, have something like this. We need a pause for a moment. Um, and again, we can assert those boundaries and essentially I'm going to step away right now. Again, we don't have to be held in that. Um, and I, I can check in with you later, or I can have someone else check in with you. Or again, do you need a moment? 
or you know what what are those things it just because you've been through things does not give you permission right yeah that's cool. it, it can be a justification for their behavior but it's not an excuse it doesn't excuse the behavior mm -hmm. right or, or sorry not a not a justification it can be an explanation an explanation yeah. of their behavior right not a justification right not an excuse for their behavior and I think boundaries are compassionate, mm -hmm. right? Because what does it do? How does it help that person if we let that person just keep hurting us? Mm -hmm. It breaks the cycle, right? When we respond differently and say that is not okay, like that is that can be a learning piece, right? We don't get to continue to do that 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 part. Let's do that differently. Let's break that cycle. And again, I can have a lot of compassion and empathy for that may have been your experience, right? Um, but that doesn't allow you the ability to make that be my experience. Um, yeah, so that's an important distinction. It's really important. Yeah. And I've had a few of those. I mean, we're, we're a pretty big workplace. We've had a few times where it's, whoa, that was like not okay, that hurt, like that was, that was not okay, you know? And those, those take some recovery and repair when those kind of things happen. Mm -hmm. And I think it takes us also stepping into that value of compassion to be able to see what is happening at that systemic level mm -hmm. so that it, so that we don't react harshly and that we can react from a place of like, Mm, that doesn't feel good to me. And I didn't appreciate that. And here's where my boundaries are. Right. And, and that takes some boundary work of knowing what your boundaries are. Right. And kind of stepping into that value for yourself as well. Um, and if, if you find yourself not being able to do that, that's important work to do. But I, I love how you said that though, Jess, that, yeah, cause I, cause I feel like if that is happening within the workplace and then we just, oh, they're just having a bad day, mm -hmm. right? Oh, let's just let them, right? Like they'll be better after, you know, that's, that's always how Tommy acts when blah, 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 right? Mm -hmm. Then we're just justifying and it's back to status quo, right? Mm -hmm. And what does that person learn? Yeah. And, and again, the person who's on the receiving end of that, it, it gives sort of this message of like, that's okay somehow. Right right like and and we're not doing that follow-up with them necessarily we're just giving like that minimization talking yeah. right yeah um and saying you're not really the victim they are yeah and we need to be really understanding around that and and again i think there's always every situation is going to be different and there's always going to be a it depends scenario within those contexts right um but and I, and I think one of those, it depends is sometimes we get, you know, that activation and we're in survival stances, right? So it's also being able to understand like that level of activation if that's happening. So again, if somebody feels backed in a corner, they're going to be either very defensive or maybe aggressive, right? So kind of understanding those pieces too, of whether somebody's kind of still in control or not, and what level of response do we need to have? that fits the degree of, of what's happening. Well, ladies, this has been a really great conversation. Is there anything else you would like to, to add 
for our listeners before sharing your contact information if if listeners want to get a hold of you? You know, I think what stands out to me is when when Jess and I previously, you know, met to talk about some of the things that we might want to talk about with this, we we kind of talked about how, you know, if you if you Google some of these things, right, of like how to stay mentally healthy at work, you know, that kind of thing, right? It's like you have all of these just silly, like cosmopolitan kind of like 10 steps to blah, 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 right? And how all of that is just really just band-aid talk, right? Because we like, like Jess, I think you can speak to this really well, like that idea that self-care has just become this, this word that we buzz just say. Word. Yeah, the buzzword. Buzz it's not a way of living. It's not actually integrated into life. It's right. It's like getting your nails done. <laughs> like, buzzword versus lifestyle. Yes. 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 And what if we actually were to look at self-care as a value, right? That we have as kind of a, like a guidepost in our life of Um, You know, for me, I talk with my students all the time about self-care, but I make sure to really identify, like, I'm not talking about having a glass of wine and a bubble bath and getting your nails done or getting a massage or getting your hair done or whatever, right? Like, those are luxuries in life that not everybody gets to have. And that's not what's, that's a band-aid to whatever bigger issue might be going on. To me, that self-care is, am I checking in with my values of, am I living my life true to who I am? And am I making sure that I'm redefining success in the ways that matter? Like, does it matter to you that you're home at night for dinner, right? And if not, if you're the type of family that, no, we, we reconnect on the weekends and we do, okay, fine, that's totally cool, right? But are you living life true to what matters to you? right? That's, that's, I think the question. And then, because to me, self-care is I'm making sure that I'm, I'm making sure that I'm carving out an hour in the day so that I can have lunch and get caught up on some paperwork because I used to not do that. And I saw how that impacted me, right? Because it was like, I'll just fit in one more client. Oh, I just feel really bad. I want to right? But then what's happening to my mental health, right? Self-care is having those really difficult conversations, it's saying no to things in your life when you feel that burden to continue to say yes, yes, yes. Jess, I know you have great thoughts on this too. Absolutely. Um, I can't, I couldn't agree with you more, um, Heather. And again, part of it is just, I think the circles around to the beginning conversation of how it's sort of embedded in us that to be successful, to be you know, healthy and well is through these accomplishments. It's through these achievements that are out there for the world to see. I can put them on my resume, right? Um, I, I, there's a, I took this class, I have it in black and white. I did this thing. I got this award. There was this achievement. And again, we're often hustling for those little bite-sized pieces that we think are going to fulfill us. Um, and we're, we're just constantly looking for that piece, right? Um, rather than looking at what's right around us, that if we just rebalanced or recalibrated a little bit, maybe we wouldn't be hustling so much for that little thing, you know, in the future. Um, 
And, and oftentimes once we get it, we get very, like, it's this underwhelming kind of feeling, right? So we get restless and we're sort of discontent again. So I think with that values piece, it's about finding what creates a sense of contentment and fulfillment. Um, and, you know, we, we need goals. We need those things, right? We need purpose and meaning, but it's not always packaged up in the way that I think we've been sold. Right. Um, having the new car, the nice, yeah. it's not the material right. things. I think it's a lot of, we get caught in this like materialistic hustle. Um, and those generally aren't the things that, you know, when we look back and reflect on where we're like, wow, yeah, you could say you have a great career, but when we're talking with people, especially in therapy, they're not regretting, you know, <laughs> the things that they, I guess the things that they are regretting are like, I missed the moments. Yeah. I, I missed like actually living my life. I was always like working toward retire or I was working for this thing. I was so focused on that. I forgot what I had around me. That was so special. And I, I can't get that back. So again, if that's your value, reevaluate that and be proactive and change the thing and stop saying yes to the things that don't fill you. And stop the shoulds mm-hmm. right I love telling my clients not to shit on themselves relationships are probably the biggest thing for me relationships and connection invest in relationships and connection mm-hmm. yeah yeah you know it, and it might sound other. yeah yeah it might sound kind of morbid at first, right? But I promise it has a good result. But one, one um, activity that I like to do with clients to help them kind of step into what their values are, or explore those values is to actually write their own eulogy, right? Like what would people say at your funeral? What would they say about you? What's in that? Like, let's really dive deep and explore that. And it, it, it isn't, and by the time, you know, she was 35, she bought her first whatever, right? Like it was, it was a five bedroom home. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and they worked really hard that year in order to put the swimming pool in the back. And like, no, that's not making, that's not making the cut in the eulogy. That's, mm-hmm. that's not there. And if it is, I'm going to, I'm going to challenge that a little bit. Like what, what's going on there, but that's, that that's in the eulogy. Yeah. Who's paying attention to that? Who, who are you writing that for? Right. Um, is it really for you? Is it really for the people in your life that really matter to you? Who do you want hearing those words? There's so much for us to learn and, and unlearn. Yeah. And being vulnerable enough to look at that. Yeah. Right. I may need to unlearn some things mm-hmm. and that doesn't make me a bad person at that point in time. Again, it speaks to the fact that I am evolving and growing and open. That takes a lot of strength. It does. It does. All very, very good thoughts from from both of you. How do people reach out to you if they want to connect with you? Uh, So for me, they could uh, find me at resolutetherapy.org. I 
own Resolute Therapy in Hiawatha. And, um, or they could also look me up through Mount Mercy University and where I'm faculty, um, full-time faculty for the Marriage and Family Therapy Program. All right, thank you, Heather. And Jess, how can they find you? Um, I am at Covenant Family Solutions. Um, we have several different locations in um, a couple, one in Marion, one in Cedar Rapids. I am in the Marion location, um, but you can find us on our website if you just Google um, Covenant Family Solutions. Um, and I've been here for about six years. So <laughs> I, they, they should know I'm the only Jess. So. <laughs> Very one, one thing I, one thing I'd add, like if, if leaders are really interested in, um, becoming the best leaders they can be, I would really direct them towards the work of Brene Brown with, um, her book, Dare to Lead or her Dare to Lead podcast is absolutely phenomenal. Um, researchers I really admire, um, are like Susan David, uh, in her work with emotional agility and Kristen Knapp with self-compassion. And so those are just three excellent researchers, renowned individuals in our field that I highly recommend people to devote some attention to. Those are great resources. And I can tell you, Kristen Knapp's book, Self-Compassion is the number one book I recommend to clients over and over. I love that book. Yeah, it's really, really worth the read. All right. Thanks again. Mm -hmm. Yes, thank you. Yep. Thank you. Have a nice day. There was a lot to take in throughout this conversation. Remember, vulnerability is a strength, not a weakness. Thanks for listening. I'm Jennifer Zock, and you can connect with me through my website at jennifer-zock.com. Again, that's jennifer-zock.com. Zock spelled Z-A-C-H.